0: You're listening to a podcast about terrible yoga. We're your hosts, Brittany and Elle. And today, we're going to be talking about all of our shitty yoga habits. Buckle up, friends. It isn't pretty. very first episode of re terrible yoga this episode in fact you could say we will be talking about all of our bad habits as yoga practitioners and yoga teachers and maybe even talking about other things that other yoga teachers do that annoy us because let's be honest we're kind of not great yogis we're kind of the worst yogis if we're being completely honest with ourselves strongly agree strongly agree (laughs) (laughs) So, Elle, lead us off. What is your first bad habit?
1: Uh, So, my very, very, very first and worst bad yoga habit is not practicing yoga.
0: (laughs) What a good one.
1: (laughs) I actually have this listed as zero. Like, I have a numbered list here, and it's, yeah, I listed that as number zero, The first, (laughs) the very first bad habit, the one that kind of, I mean, it's like a thread through all of my other habits. Not practicing something is a common thread that runs through all of this list, but not practicing yoga at all is probably my biggest and also most common problem.
0: So, I mean, I think that's a pretty good place to start. I was also going to put that on my list, but then I was like, no, that can't possibly be a bad habit because that just doesn't make sense. It's like the problem you have to overcome before you can have many other problems.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I would definitely count it as being the worst yoga habit (laughs)
0: is not doing yoga. So when you say that you don't do yoga, let, let's give let's give the listeners a sense of what that means because I, I mean, I used to practice at least 6 hours a week, which is bananas, and now I'm lucky if I get like half an hour a week. So that's, you know, that's a pretty significant difference. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I wouldn't even say that it's like uh not even comparing myself to when I've been really good at doing my own personal practice or like when we were doing teacher training and we had to be practicing a certain number of hours a week. Um, It more just in, uh, so like not even quantifying numbers of like hours of practice, but in setting out the intention to practice and then just not following through saying like, I'm going to go to a yoga class today, not doing it, rolling out my mat, Putting on my yoga clothes, getting a bottle of water ready, getting a playlist ready, not doing it, which I did today, three hours ago. (laughs) Uh, Stuff like that. Stuff like just not, um, yeah, not following through on the yoga practice, finding any excuse to not practice yoga or to exercise. I mean, exercising in general, um, something that I don't, (laughs) I don't love doing. (laughs) I say as a fitness instructor, but like, it's true. I really don't. Um, Yeah. And I feel like when, (laughs) if you let yourself slide in terms of holding yourself accountable to your practice, even when you have, because sometimes you just genuinely don't have the time or the energy to practice and then it doesn't get done like you you don't do it you can't do it and that is totally fine and I would say that obviously there are a lot of people out there who will say this and it's true um that practicing for five minutes is better than practicing for zero minutes but it's so easy to say that And it's so much harder to actually do that. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's such, it's a massive hurdle to get on your mat or to do like any exercise. I think a lot of people always say like that's half the battle. And I mean, it legit is because if you do all of that work, like you said, you rolled out your mat, you got the water ready, you got the place ready, and you still didn't do
1: it. I didn't do it.
0: I did (laughs) not. I... (laughs) I looked at it and I was like, no, not today. (laughs) So yeah, I can definitely relate. I normally, once I get my mat out, like it's happening because if I roll my mat out and don't do yoga on it, my cat will come lie on it and then that's just a recipe for disaster. So I use my body on my yoga mat as a shield to keep my cat off of it. I
1: mean, that's solid. I sometimes will keep my mat just rolled out. In my, I'm fortunate enough to have my own office space and I will just leave it rolled out as like a constant invitation for myself to practice, which I am always declining. <laughs> uh, and I mean, yeah, my dog does just, she uses the mat and she does a beautiful downward facing dog. <laughs> as you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that that's definitely my first, my biggest, my most problematic,
0: <laughs> terrible yoga habit is uh, not practicing yoga. I mean, that's a solid place for us to start. Super solid, starting off, <laughs> starting off strong. Now mine is gonna seem super, just like the most shameful. Um, <laughs> 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 You're like, oh, I don't practice yoga. Da, da. I'm like, I am the worst. Um, so mine, the first one that I have is actually the one that I'm I'm the least proud of. Some of them I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. But this one I'm like, mm, I really need to work on that. So I broke mine down into studio versus home practice bad habits because in the past I was mainly a studio person and now I'm mainly a home practice person. But when I was a studio person, I would say my worst habit In a yoga studio, not when I was a teacher, but just when I was practicing, is secretly judging all of the other practitioners in the class (laughs) around me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And just, oh my
0: God. Okay, wait.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I don't know. I didn't take the opportunity to get quite this. I didn't, I did not reach up to your level. And I'm sorry. okay
0: (laughs) maybe maybe we should have consulted each other's lists before we did this Uh, honestly I'm sort of thinking that maybe that's a good
1: policy (laughs) in the
0: future
1: um although I sort of like being surprised okay you do you want do you want to talk about this first because I'm totally also ready to just own up to absolutely doing this always you know and not even just judging other people's practices judging their attitude mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. vibe yep in the class yep yeah go ahead go ahead
0: <laughs> no I just I mean I'm just one of those people I don't want to be but I am the judgy person I just in a, in a in an environment where at least in the past I would like to think I was quite adept at practicing yoga <laughs> I like to judge other people who are both better than me and not quite as good as me. And also judging, you know, what they're wearing. Oh, they decided to wear that to class. That was a terrible mistake. Or, you know, their general vibe, like, oh, that's the the attitude that they're coming into class with. So, yeah, it just, you know, makes me feel like a yucky person. But that's that's just me. That's my reality. <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah, my biggest...
1: Thing with other people and uh I don't even know if it's like judging not people who are new to the practice if people are just starting a yoga practice and they're just out there doing their best and having a good time I'm all for them being in class um it's people who I know that they should know better than to be doing what they're doing Mm -hmm. in a yoga class so especially other yoga teachers when I see them not modifying when they should be modifying moving into a harder sort of like vanity I'm using air quotes type pose that um, would be like the next logical step from the pose that you're in right like the next sort of level again I'm using air quotes that you can't see uh using air quotes and hand gestures and sarcasm is gonna be this is gonna be a difficult translation in audio podcasts. <laughs> um yeah people who do that it drives me totally mental and I find it so distracting e- e- people who are Either, yeah, practicing unsafely when I know that they should be not doing that or um, people who are literally just in class showing off because they are at a higher level of practicing than other people, even when that's not the objective that's being set up by the class or by the teacher. And, I mean, one of my favorite things to do, we'll just move into one little bad teacher habit here that I realized that I have that I uh, didn't have on my list, is telling people who are doing that kind of thing, like, hey, that's not where we're going. Like, actually, we were not going to transition from this pose into flying pigeon, so you can come
0: on right back down. (laughs) You are my hero. (laughs) That's amazing. And I will say, I had also on my list that another bad habit of mine was always going for the advanced version. But I, I don't think I, I mean, I very rarely took class with you. I don't think I ever actually took a class taught by you, but I also think it was rare that I was in a class with you. And therefore, I avoided the gaze of destruction that you were probably sending my way.
1: Well, but I mean, there is definitely a difference between doing the most advanced version of a pose and um, moving from something like Malasana into crow. And I mean, that one I probably wouldn't stop anybody from doing. But like, just as an example, Malasana is not the same pose as Crow. And if I wanted my class in Malasana, then there's probably a reason for that. And that reason might not be Crow. Although, again, (laughs) I probably wouldn't stop anybody from taking Crow (laughs) uh, when we were doing Malasana. But uh, there are a lot of poses where, you know, you're in a position that is... Uh, the logical prep position for another more difficult pose and it's when people just flow right into that pose without stopping to think about what the intention of the class is drives me freaking bananas.
0: (laughs) Well I think that also is kind of when like yoga or their yoga practice or our yoga practice kind of like becomes a performance instead of what it is quote unquote supposed to be, which is, you know, whatever you decide it to be. But like, it's not to perform a certain pose for the benefit of the class. Like, that's not the point. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is when practitioners decide to make it like, a, oh, look, I'm a fancy peacock doing this super cool thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it's it, the purpose of having a yoga practice is not at the end of the day, to be able to do a handstand or mar- rasana it's uh to be a happier healthier better person and if you want to do rasana then like by all means please learn how to do that um but also consider that you know maybe that's not where the class that you're in is going maybe that's not what you need to do today um you know you know <laughs>
0: Just be aware of your surroundings and maybe read the room a little bit before you go for something super advanced that maybe isn't where the teacher wants you to go.
1: Exactly. Uh, And don't uh, obsess about those poses because it's more important to have a stable core than to be able to do a really, really rad forearm balance. So you say, I mean, I say that. You say but that, but it would I be really cool. I don't know if cool.
0: everybody <laughs> agrees with me. I mean, I would love to be able to do Pinchamaya Rasana, and I cannot. And I would love to be able to do it. I also cannot
1: at all do Pinchamaya Rasana. Not even, not even close.
0: <laughs> so what's next on your list?
1: Um, What is next on my list is... I do really lazy sun salutations. Uh, This one is specifically when I am practicing by myself, but also if I'm in a class where I'm maybe too comfortable with the teachers and the other practitioners, (laughs) Um, I have this problem much in the same way of just straight up not practicing, which is it, It's like the opposite of pushing myself too far. So a lot of people, right, the goal for them is to make beautiful shapes. It's to have the most perfect looking yoga practice. If I am not being watched by other people, this is also kind of like the reverse of what you just said. If I'm not being watched and possibly judged, I will not even perform at my ability level (laughs) like i won't even do the least i will do less than the least (laughs) i'll modify every chaturanga even if i can do them even though i should be doing them because what i want to be doing later in the practice and i this is my next thing you know what maybe i'll just like combine these two yeah, let's just do that. I'm going to just float right from one into the next one because they are related. So even when my sun salutations really or even my warm up. So I like to practice Ashtanga and I like to practice Hatha based like yoga practices or like Yang Yin sort of practices. Uh so usually my warm-ups are very, 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 very heavily sun salutation influenced, which I think is pretty normal for everybody who does this, these types of yoga. Um, so, yeah, even when I know, and especially in a sort of yang-yin practice where I know the second half of the practice is going to rely on me being warm, I still won't do it. I'm still like, No. I'm going to put my knees down in this chaturanga. I'm going to do cobra instead of upward dog. Just because I don't want to do the sun salutations. I don't want to do it. And then my next point was doing deep stretching with no warm up. And I don't mean like restorative actual sort of yin poses. I mean like deep stretching (laughs) with just little to no actual warming up because like the people that we were just talking shit about I want to be in the splits right now today in this moment and I don't want to have to have done any sun salutations to have gotten there because I can't do that (laughs) I have never once in my life been able to do that but I
0: try (laughs) so you just kind of covered off like three others on my list so I'm just gonna like <laughs> chime right in so believe, yes. the, I mean the opposite of my problem um in a studio environment where I always go for the advanced pose in the home practice I do not challenge myself enough at all and I always take the way out and my sub point to that is skipping every chaturanga ever because why would I do them? <laughs> there's no point But different to you, I will, different and similar, I primarily do yin and restorative yoga and only when I'm like really feeling myself will I do like an ashtanga practice. So I very rarely do chaturangas or vinyasas or sun salutations in the first place. So when I have to do them, I'm like, this is the worst. Why did I decide that I wanted to do that?
1: Yeah, I totally feel that. Chaturanga is like, it's my nemesis pose. Uh, And if I am doing, even if I'm doing the sun salutations, especially at home, I will often modify them to just completely skip over chaturanga entirely. Step back to upward facing dog is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite thing to do. And it's one of my favorite cues to give also in class because I feel really magnanimous when I don't make people do chaturanga. (laughs)
0: The funny thing is for me is that I actually really like doing chaturangas and I sort of use them this is I don't know if this is a bad habit it probably is it's probably a terrible habit but I use how my first chaturanga of a practice goes to like gauge how everything else is going to go (laughs) so if it's like a really solid jump back and I just like land at 90 and I'm like just rocking it I'm like yes I'm gonna crush this practice but if I do it and I'm all wobbly and it's terrible I'm like well might as well just stop now because it's going downhill from here
1: (laughs) Uh, my first ashtanga of a practice is always terrible, invariably. It's like the third. The third, if I'm doing an ashtanga practice, that third sun salutation, it's perfection. <laughs> it's beautiful. And nothing before or after it looks or feels quite as good. Especially B. Surya B. Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I always do an accelerated version, like a compressed version of Ashtanga, because ain't nobody got time for the full freaking primary series. Nobody. I don't care who you are. No one has time for that. So whenever I do the compressed version, I normally do three Surya A's and two Surya B's. And my God, if those two Surya B's aren't the hardest thing I've done all week... It just kills me every time.
1: Every single time, though. And if you're doing, you know, five and five, that fifth, Surya B, like, I'm just in child's pose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For the whole thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a child's pose. There isn't. Take child's pose. That's the moral of this uh, episode. Just (laughs) take child's pose for the whole practice. So, my my next one, I think, is more on the level of what you intended this to be. Oh, uh, no. I'm
1: fully ready to just start <laughs> gossiping about people I've seen doing terrible shit in yoga classes.
0: <laughs> so, because I do normally, I normally do yin or restorative, so, like, super long holds and, like, mostly uncomfortable positions. Um obviously with lots of props because props for life. Um, I have this habit and you are my enabler of of talking to my friends on my phone while I'm practicing, like just messaging people because I'm in pigeon pose for five minutes. What else am I going to do?
1: I mean, right? Kay? but do you you know what's really funny? This is also the next thing on my list.
0: (laughs) Because we are the greatest.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah. Stay present in your body. Listen to what your body is telling you through all 7 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a forward fold.
0: Oh Seated forward fold. <laughs> Great. No. <laughs> I think like I would never do that obviously in a yoga class because I never brought my like an actual yoga class because I never brought my phone into the studio with me because that's like not a thing that you do but like at home I'm like why wouldn't I and sometimes I do classes on my phone so my phone is there so it's a it's a point of interest so it becomes very easy especially and I've done this multiple times and we will talk about this in another episode but if a teacher that I'm doing a class with on my phone says something utterly ridiculous or says like the most stupid cue you've ever heard, I will immediately text you and be like, listen to this trash that I just heard because it is the worst. I appreciate it.
1: Even if I'm making your yoga practice worse (laughs) and possibly making uh, both of us worse people, but I I like it. It makes me happy. (laughs) So that's all that matters. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, but I definitely, I do the fully exact same thing. Uh, I don't do quite as many um, online classes. And you, and see, the, I think that you're really brave doing yoga classes with people that might be a mystery. Because I pretty much, if I'm doing an online yoga class, it's yoga with Adrian. It's Adrian Mishler's classes and that's it because I don't trust anyone else who's teaching online to not say something totally crazy and insane that makes me whip my head up from my mat and just
0: be like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> I, I mean, I will say that there have been a couple of instances where teachers have said stuff where I'm just like, that means nothing. Those are words, but they don't go together. That's not a sentence. Um, But those, and I think that, I mean, I think that I have a higher tolerance for that sort of thing because I also used to primarily teach yin, which I think leans in more of like the flowery, esoteric, spewing flowers type of language. So I have a higher tolerance for that sort of thing. But sometimes it does. And it's just like, why did you say that? Because that's not correct or anything (laughs) or useful or useful
1: to be fair though uh sometimes and especially if you are used to practicing with the same uh group of people or the same school of yoga we've find shorthand terms to uh describe something that make a lot of sense to us But to somebody who's new to the practice or even somebody who's not new to the practice, but just new to a type of yoga or new to you as a teacher, they are like, what the hell does that mean? And now I'm going to give an example of something that I say literally all the time. And I finally had someone who was a friend just be like, I don't know what the fuck you are talking about. And I was like, interesting, (laughs) interesting. This is an interesting learning experience. And it is the cue, breathe into a thing. But I, do, oh, but I love that Breathe one. into your stretch. I know, oh, me too. <laughs> it makes so much sense to me. But she was like, I'm breathing into my lungs. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and what we as yoga teachers mean when we say that is use your inhale to stretch out the place that you are currently stretching or use maybe your exhale even to find a little bit more stability if you're balancing or you're engaging a muscle uh but yeah i guess to people who have never heard that term before it sounds batshit crazy
0: (laughs) okay but okay But here is an actual one that is just like this is an example from a class that I did, and I will not shade the person who said it because my goodness. And I texted you this one because I was like, what in the f does this even mean? The cue I think I was in a forward, a seated forward fold, a a a paschimottanasana, if you will, Um, and the cue was move your kidneys back. I remember getting this text.
1: Oh, it was delightful. Move your kidneys back. A
0: classic <laughs> yoga cue. <laughs> so that's an example of like an actually crazy cue. They're like, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. Uh.
1: Yeah, no. No, you're right. Um. But I mean, maybe there are some people who think that they can move their kidneys back what's i even knowing vaguely where the kidneys are in the body i wouldn't be able to translate that into a practical motion but i guess if you got really technical down to it they could be saying to just focus on moving kind of like your lumbar spine
0: think you're giving back? them quite a lot of credit that they don't deserve
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't taking a class so I'll think for it.
0: I think I worked it out eventually that I think that what they were trying to say was to like breathe really deeply into like your, your into your back ribs to like move stuff around and create like space but that is not even remotely how it came across
1: <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, that's a weird one because I feel like it, it, it's not your kidneys necessarily moving back
0: no. <laughs> really deeply no <laughs> no it is not
1: <laughs> yeah this next one is a little bit catty I don't actually expect us to talk about this in any um, significant way but number five listening to music during my personal ashtanga practice.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
1: I don't think you're supposed to.
0: Okay, well, yes. I mean, if you're talking about, like, legit.
1: Yes, I was tango. talking about, I
0: mean, I also practice
1: on my period and stuff. You know, oh, hey, you can leave this in the podcast, too. Don't edit this out. Let's do a whole episode where we talk about how incredibly sexist the basis of the practice is, despite the fact that it's primarily geared towards women. Yes. now. Correct. Ladies, enlightenment is out of your grasp. It's not possible. It's just not. Because the rules of the practice say that you have to practice for however many, I don't remember what it is, <laughs> however many number of days in a row, but you can't practice on your period.
0: Yep. So you'll never get there. You, you think you're going to get, get there. there and then dang, no. it happens Ugh. again. It's your freaking period again. Done. Over. Start from the beginning. Try again next month. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Listen to music during my stronger practice. Okay, here's a real one. Um, I skip Shavasana.
0: Oh my gosh. I I, I have a major problem with that.
1: I'm, gonna, you know, I'm
0: going to yoga hell. <laughs> I was going to build an entire episode around the necessity of Shavasana, <laughs> and now you've just destroyed the sanctity well, no, of I that mean, effort. We can
1: definitely do it.
0: I'm just telling you
1: that I consistently don't do Shavasana when I practice. But it's
0: like it's the whole oh. reward for all of the terrible twisting and crap that you've just <laughs> done to yourself. You get to lie there for as long as you want. I can't believe... I'm actually super surprised that you skip it.
1: I'm shocked. shocked. I'm shocked. And appalled. And I can appalled. hear it in your voice. Yeah, no. Um, I just can't... I like having somebody telling me when shavasana is done
0: i mm, know i agree with that 100
1: and if i don't have someone to tell me when shavasana is done uh then like i can be lying down and looking at my phone hugging my dog lying down in bed <laughs> i do and it's so hypocritical because i I'm such a stickler for making other people do Shavasana in their practices. But yeah, when I doing it at home. There's a, I'm going to say it's like a generous 60, 40 chance that I'm not going to be doing Shavasana. It's probably higher than that.
0: <laughs> in a, in a studio environment, I always like, I just like relish every second of Shavasana in the, in in the, in the classes that I teach. I, because they're mainly in, I, tend to do like five to 10 ish minute shavasanas because why wouldn't you if you have the opportunity but I do agree with you when you're doing it at home by yourself I don't I I never skip shavasana because I'm not an animal um (laughs) (laughs) but I do when I'm by myself I do tend to rush it because I don't have a sense of time when I'm just on my mat by myself so I'm like it could have been 30 seconds, it could have been four minutes already. I have like really no way of knowing. So I just sort of like let myself be there for a while and then I move on without really letting myself get into that shavasani type place. We're gonna copyright that word. Yeah, perfect. Because I just don't have no sense of time. So if I just let myself go, I'm like going to be there for like half an hour. What's going to happen? So I totally agree that it can be difficult to do it in a home practice. And that's also, I know we're not talking, this is probably for another episode, but my biggest beef with online yoga classes is that they almost universally never have a Shavasana on the end of the class. And it annoys me to no end. They just end the class and they're like, okay, go do sh- Shavasana by yourself. I'm like... Did your job end? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have that written in my notes. Like, did, did, did your job suddenly end because you decided you didn't want to do Shavasana? Like, what? It really annoys me. It's my biggest problem with all online subscription yoga things.
1: <laughs> um, I would definitely agree with that. And I do think that, I mean, you said to you that when you're teaching yin, you do a five-minute shavasana I mean I'll do a five minute shavasana after a a flow class which honestly I think pisses a lot of people off but I don't really care (laughs) especially when it's a long if it's more than a 60 minute class like a 75 minute class you're getting a five minute shavasana yeah from me Mm
0: -hmm. deal with it not negotiable
1: (laughs) um but I do sort of feel like when I'm taking a yoga class part of the power of shavasana is that i don't have control over how long it lasts and i just have to be there shutting the fuck up and lying down yep (laughs) and there's no choice when i'm at home i do have a choice and now listener you're probably thinking bitch you could set a timer (laughs) (laughs) But guess
0: what? I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you. Next. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely should set a timer because I love Shavasana so much. And for me, it's also kind of like a physical thing. I don't know what is like wrong with my body. But if I don't do a Shavasana, I just don't feel right. Like I feel like all messed up and all like out of sync and all like all over the place mentally. So like I have to do a Shavasana if I don't want to feel nauseous for like hours after my practice I should probably go to a doctor but um I just it's difficult it is difficult it's hard it's hard to do yeah 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 do you want to do your next one I do and I'm gonna go now because I'm out of my practitioner ones now because we've kind of already covered them but so I have one bad teaching habit because frankly I'm magnificent no I just can't really remember it's been quite a long time since I've actually taught a class so the one thing that I do remember in teaching yin classes, they tended to be, you know, either hip focused or shoulder focused or some combination of both, just depending on who is in the class and whatever. But regardless of that, I always used one of three playlists for my classes. <laughs> <laughs> which I literally only thought about like this week when I was prepping for this, that I'm sure the students got sick of. But like when I was doing it, I was like, Yeah, this is like my jam. This is like so good. And now I realize it probably was really annoying to the people who always came to my classes. Um
1: I feel like I went to quite a few of your yin classes, and I don't remember ever being angered by the music. That's good. Uh, I actually had a student once in a class ask me to turn my music off.
0: Interesting. Because it
1: was too distracting for her. And I was a new enough teacher at the time that I just did it. I turned it off. I was like, I'm sorry. And what I should have told her is, listen... Karen, her name was not Karen, but I'm gonna. work I, you know, they're all Karens at the end of the day, <laughs> aren't they? Um, like maybe you should learn how to practice in an environment that doesn't meet every single one of your needs. I wouldn't say it exactly like that, the way I'm saying it to you right now, and anyone who listens to this. Uh, but that would be the gist of of the sentiment that I wanted to convey to a practitioner who was not 100% satisfied with the yoga class, um, especially something like music that they found a little bit distracting. But, yeah. That's
0: interesting because I would, I mean, in the moment, I probably would have been like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, because that's just what I would have done. But in you know retrospect, I think I also would have said something to the effect of, like, make the music the, like, the your gaze. Like, make the music the thing that you're focusing on. So then it doesn't distract you. Then it becomes the thing that you, like, drill into to deepen the practice as opposed to trying to shut it out, which is what she was trying to do.
1: Um, yeah, or at least trying to only focus on the fact that, you know, her practice. And the thing about practicing and teaching other people is that you do want to make the environment as welcoming as it can be for everybody. But I also do feel like at the end of the day, it was my class and – my music and you know yep she could have been more open <laughs> to the experience <laughs> as it was happening and I, 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 yeah I think a lot of the main focus of yoga that sometimes gets lost I don't think it ever got lost at the studio that we used to practice at no shade to the studio it was a great studio I mean this in a loving way was that you're not entitled to being comfortable 100% of the time in your, your practice. Yeah.
0: But I actually yeah. love that.
1: Yeah. it. Um, I mean, because since I stopped practicing there, you know, we just went through the list of terrible shit that I do now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've so. not been to another studio because I just can't find another one that is even remotely as good. So I'm just stuck with my house. <laughs> and...
1: The, the yoga instructor on your phone who told you to move your kidneys.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Not doing class with him again. One of my worst habits as a yoga teacher
1: is trying to over-explain to people everything. I don't like to... And I don't mean, like, the minutiae of the pose, and this is the problem, is that a lot of teachers are happy giving alignment cues that appear to be universal and I don't like to do that I would rather people decide for themselves what alignment is working for them and so I want them to know what parts they should be engaging what parts they should be stretching and I will sometimes just verbally vomit all that information (laughs) onto my students And it it is sometimes way too much for them. Um, And I do this especially if it's a large class, because sometimes if it's a smaller class, you can kind of see, you know, if someone's shoulders are all sort of hunched in, they're collapsing in on themselves, you kind of know um, what they're engaging, what they're not engaging, like your core is not engaged, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Um, But if you're teaching 25 people, but you can't see them all at once and then I start panicking <laughs> that one person is not gonna get the absolute most <laughs> out of this class um and then I think that that it does overwhelm people and that's a crappy habit that I have as a yoga teacher and then in addition to that habit related <laughs> Related to this habit. Um, I have this like deep. Need. To make every single yoga class. Like new. And challenging. And educational. And like I want people to come away from it. Having learned something about themselves. Or about fitness. Or about how to do a thing. That they didn't know before. And. And. I, this is crazy, (laughs) because those are never my favorite classes, when I take them, but then like, when I'm teaching, I'm always like, this has to be a revelation for somebody,
0: (laughs) and it never is. (laughs) You don't know that it isn't.
1: I mean, okay, that's fair. Nobody's ever told me that it's If you have ever had a revelation in one
0: of my yoga classes, at me. (laughs) let her know i mean i don't think that those are i mean those are not bad habits really i think that those are wonderful perfectionist tendencies (laughs) (laughs) which i relate to highly
1: um but i do think that sometimes they can come at the cost of the experience that people are having like not every day your whole class doesn't always
0: need that that's true i think i mean i think part of that is like putting what you want their experience to be instead of just letting them have their experience yes yeah which is problematic but it's very nice of you that you want them to have an awesome experience come to my
1: class and walk away enlightened
0: (laughs) fuck (laughs) it only 60 minutes or less that's all it'll take (laughs) what
1: is your second teacher habit
0: do you have another one not another uh teacher one I just have another practitioner one um so the one that I have is it's like a bad habit but I mean no it is a bad habit um is especially in the beginning and I think a lot of new practitioners can you know, relate to this is not questioning the teacher when something doesn't feel right or something's just not going the way that you think it should be going and you're just like nope this is what she said the pose is and I'm just gonna like tough it out even if my hip flexor is yelling at me to stop doing whatever the fuck I'm doing. Um, I think that that's something that gets better with time once you realize oh no actually my hip flexors you know attach in a really specific way that is maybe different than what the experience of the teacher's hip flexor is so maybe I need to modify myself but so basically it's just not sort of listening to myself when I should be and not questioning the experience that I'm having yes (laughs) (laughs) and
1: uh, yeah I don't have anything to add to that that's like that's really true Mm-hmm. that also, that experience is part of the reason that I like to over-explain mm-hmm. absolutely 100%. everything yeah. to my, yeah. practice. even when they don't need it, they didn't. they don't need all that information. <laughs> Not for every single pose.
0: <laughs> and that's why I think that I don't think that I would have gotten into a home practice as much as I have if I hadn't had all of that time in a studio because doing classes on my own or doing online classes. Like you don't get the feedback. Like you still get bodily feedback, obviously, but you don't get feedback from the teacher. You can't yell at the teacher if they're, you know, on your phone, they're saying, do this, put your arm under this thing. And you're like, but how my arm doesn't articulate that way. <laughs> um, but I don't think I would have gotten to that place if I hadn't had all that time in the studio. So I think it can be really intimidating for people to even start a home practice. Cause they're like, I don't know where my body parts are. I don't know what my limbs are. I don't know what any of that crap is.
1: Yes. Sorry. This is only related to home practice. It's not even a really terrible yoga habit. It's just something that I want to complain about, and I'm going to do it right now. Um, I will sometimes watch yoga videos I know I just said that when I do home practices it's usually only yoga with Adrian and that is true of like a full practice but I do often watch other teachers just teaching either to pilfer cues <laughs> <laughs> we're all stealing from each other if you have you know if you ever hear me say something that's a cue that you, you want to use it please do um uh or Also for my own practice, just to take little um, snippets of sequences, especially for more advanced yoga practices that I'm just trying to do by myself. I'm saying advanced, more not beginner friendly (laughs) yoga practices that I'm trying to do at home without guidance. Um, I will watch other people and how they kind of go about doing the things that I am attempting to do. And sometimes I see on these videos comments mm-hmm. I'm thinking right now about one specific video where she said right at the beginning of the video that she was just gonna go into it. Um, it was a video about doing the splits, Hanumanasana. And it was a really thorough video. It was a really great video. <laughs> but there was a comment on it saying, Like, do you really think that this is suitable for the average practitioner? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) well, no. (laughs) Like, she obviously didn't. And if you, the average practitioner, are watching this thinking, I'm just going to jump straight into the splits, be prepared for disappointment, my friends. Okay, so as a teacher, another basically shitty thing that I do (laughs) Um, is that I will get into a rut of only practicing the things that I want to teach rather than doing my own practice just for the sake of doing my own practice and doing like what I actually need to do. Cause obviously I also, I work in addition to teaching or I was working in addition to teaching because I'm not teaching right now and I'm just working. (laughs) Um, But so like fully just ignoring uh, the personal, my personal practice for the sake of like fitness and happiness and doing my own personal practice and fully just being like, I want to teach this thing this week. I'm going to do it a million times. (laughs) And that is it. And I feel like doing that, is really limiting because like you just said, um, the only thing that I'm getting experience doing when I do that is me doing that pose. Like there's no amount of times that I can do a forward fold that I will suddenly understand what it feels like for you to do a forward fold. (laughs) Cause I can only ever do it with my legs and spine and feet and hands and whatever other parts of my body that I want to involve in the forward fold. Um, So yeah, I feel like, but I feel like if you, you are still focused on your own personal practice and your personal growth, then you actually can (laughs) have insights into new things, new experiences Uh, remember the way that it feels to be a novice practitioner especially of like a certain pose and stuff um, rather than just doing the practice that you want to teach over and over and over again which I don't think serves anyone and it makes your classes real boring (laughs) I find I found that it made my classes boring
0: I think that's interesting because I remember our our yoga teacher always asking us like, oh, how's your personal practice? And my answer was always, what personal practice are you talking about? I come to the studio like five times a week and I teach two to three times a week. Like, when is the time for the personal practice? <laughs> when does that happen?
1: Yeah. Okay. And my last thing that I do as a practitioner my last terrible yoga habit thinking, being fully convinced that having cute yoga shit
0: <laughs> will make
1: me better at
0: doing yoga. But it will, though. Is true. <laughs> that is a fact. You heard it here it first. It actually does happen. <laughs> yeah, so this is, I can see why you saved this one for last, <laughs> This one resonates with me quite deeply. I, in a previous life, had quite a serious shopping issue where I, I did, <laughs> where I just had like, I can't eat like unfathomable, I don't know, can't even see the word, unfathomable amounts of yoga clothes. I, I it's genuinely shocking. Um. And then I went through a whole phase and got rid of most of it. And now I, you know, two yoga, two pairs of yoga pants and et cetera. But all of the cute pairs of pants that I had were just so cute. And they made me want to do yoga more. <laughs> or at least just go outside wearing the pants.
1: That's fair. Did they, though? Like, did they really? Because I, I mean, that's, I'm happy that that worked for you. <laughs>
0: They did. They did for me when I was in this, st- like when I was at the studio, because I would get to wear them and everyone would get to see them. <laughs> <laughs> so I would get to look at my fun new pants. And you, you know, at that studio, there were like a group of people who were always like, "Ooh, cool pants!" Because yeah, you know, I know you I was know in that group. <laughs> yes, yes, you were.
1: <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I do appreciate a good pair of yoga pants, and I do have still a few I've gotten rid of also a buttload (laughs) of yoga pants that really they looked so great and they were so not functional (laughs) in any way um but yeah and not even just yoga pants but that whole yoga
0: just aesthetic well, okay, well, one, since we're on the topic, truth time, I have three yoga mats. How many yoga mats do you have? <laughs> okay, first of all, shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Second, I have, I'm going to count. In the house, there are seven. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them are currently, like, I use them for personal practice. One of them was a gift. (laughs) (laughs) So, mm, there you go. One of them was a gift. One, I used to teach goat yoga.
0: Mm, Single use.
1: Well, Well, no, single, like, type of yoga use. You can't, once you're, listen, if you've ever been to a goat yoga class, you know you cannot reuse that mat for anything else (laughs) ever again. Um, So yeah, I used to teach a goat yoga class. uh, And that mat, it had to be sacrificed (laughs) to the goat yoga gods. (laughs) It could never be used for anything else ever again. And I say that it's in the house, but it's not. It's in our garage because it literally... I'm only keeping it around in case I ever get to go to a goat yoga class or teach another goat yoga class. Um, if you haven't been to a goat yoga class, find one. I highly recommend it. This has been a goat yoga plug. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this episode brought to you by Goat Yoga.
1: Yeah, and, and I will admit that having a lot of cute yoga stuff is is fun, <laughs> and it is very exciting sometimes and sometimes honestly if it makes you feel really really awesome to wear it then it is more motivating it will get you to class yeah um but i also do feel like at least for me those pieces of things clothes yoga equipment you know yoga wheels <laughs> i have two of those <laughs> I only have one yoga wheel. They're different (laughs) uh. sizes, so uh. eh. Yeah, they were few and far between. And most of the stuff was just capris. Capri yoga pants. Which are the worst. that I impulse bought thinking, this will be great. They never are great. Binds and other stuff where you have to wrap your legs around your arms. But they're never great. They're always awful. Yeah, <laughs> don't story. buy groupie yoga bands.
0: No, don't do it. I will say that I'm the type of person that when I start a new thing, I need all the accompanying things to go with that thing. <laughs> so, like when I started knitting, I needed like the like I bought a ridiculously expensive set of rosewood needles which i still have to this day and i still use and they're beautiful and i love them um same thing with like photography i needed that camera right away same thing with yoga like i needed all of the gear yoga is really the only thing where it actually panned out and i still do it with enough regularity that it's like it was worth all of the outlay for (laughs) it but i feel like that's really rare. like people are like i'm gonna become a rock climber and then they buy all that crap and then it just doesn't go anywhere <laughs> then they stop loving it for me anyway for yoga it was definitely like useful I did go a bit on the overboard side but I pull- I've pulled myself back I I came back down
1: yeah and I do feel like that's a really normal thing for people to do to hype themselves up to try and get into a thing by having all of the accoutrements that go with it um but at the end of the day you know you don't need it and sometimes it can be intimidating mm-hmm to try and find the yoga mats, especially, oh my man, gosh. they're yeah. so hit or miss. Yeah. I was advising or trying to help somebody at least <laughs> buy a yoga mat the other day. And um, the impulse when you're like new to the practice is like, I want something squishy and comfortable. But that usually, is a mistake. that is, a, yeah, that's a mistake. <laughs> it makes it hard to balance. But um, it's hard to explain that to people and it's overwhelming the choice of yoga mats <laughs> in the world <laughs> yes <laughs> is overwhelming and then even like mat feel <laughs> just the way that your mat feels against your hands and feet it's so important if you're gonna use it every single freaking day um that a lot of the time It's better to not just jump right in and buy a really expensive yoga mat. Buy a cheap-ass yoga mat and then be that weird person in the class asking everyone if you can do a downward dog on their mat.
0: That's true, though. That is – that's time-tested and time-tested advice. You got to do that. That's
1: the best way to find a yoga mat.
0: (laughs) I will say I know – what brand of yoga mat is my favorite, but I'm not going to say unless they decide they want to sponsor us one day. (laughs) I'm going to keep that information for myself.
1: (laughs) I do too. And I feel like, we have two different opinions. I think we do, this. and actually, We're I actually—we're gonna have a race to see who <laughs> brand sponsors us first. And if you still have spoilers, the mat, it will be neither.
0: Yeah, it will be neither of those. But if you still have the mat that you had before, I hate that mat. That mat is trash. <laughs> and I cannot not use it. It's the it. best mat. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> That's that. Let's be honest. That's a conversation for an, an entirely other episode. So I think we should probably consider wrapping it up. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of RE Terrible Yoga. Until next time, just remember, if you can do Fallen Angel, we hate you.